Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are checking in here on a Monday morning. It's actually afternoon here for me in South America, but it's morning for Goes. How's it going, everybody? Great weekend of fights. PFL versus Bellator went down in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, the new fight capital of the world. Yeah, right. A little too soon there on that one. And then in Mexico City, now they got themselves some combat sports history. They had a fight card as well. Didn't go too well to the, for the Mexicans at the top of the build, but we'll unpack that card as well uh, a lot of the latest news that's trickled in it's gonna be a fun show we'll be right back because let me just say calm down Riyadh. we'll give you your due you know how to put on a hell of a show and i can't wait to go there and take one in whether it's boxing or MMA, I've seen some Formula One go down. And, of course, the soccer league slowly blowing up. But Vegas has history, guys. Even New York City's got history. Madison Square Garden's seen their fair share. I think it's still a little too soon to say that this is the uh, the, the new fight capital of the world. Uh, but guess what? You did have an event on Saturday. It went well for Bellator, not so well for PFL. They saved a little face in the main event when uh, Henan Fajeda defeated Ryan Bader. But in the co-main event, it was Johnny Evelyn over Impa Kasanganai. So the title fights were split. And then after that, it was all Bellator. Uh, Vadim Nemkov, who just moved up to heavyweight, he beat Bruno Capaloza. Uh, Jason Jackson, he beat Ray Cooper III. And then we also had uh, AJ McKee beating Clay Collard. So it was about a four to one score. You might see some five and ones floating out there because Yoel Romero had like four or five fights with Bellator. So he ended as a Bellator guy, but he had like 13 in the UFC. Thiago Santos had a lot in the UFC, but in the last few years, he's been over at PFL. So some people threw that one in. Yoel Romero defeated Thiago Santos there. Goes, what were your thoughts on the event? I know some of these thoughts are a replay from spinning back click, which we just did. So maybe focus in on just um, the matchups themselves. I hate over Baders. There's not too much to unpack there. It took, what, 20 seconds, I think? Well, I'm going to start with where you started, and that's the whole fight capital of the world thing. Yeah, it's going to take a lot to dethrone Las Vegas. But if you look at kind of like uh, the foundations that they're laying for the future – Eek. you know this this uh saudi arabia is becoming a player not just in in mixed martial arts not just in boxing but in sports in general uh we're probably gonna take a little bit of a hit but uh it's gonna take a while you know to erase history and everything that that's happened here in uh the united states just the celebrities that show up how big of a deal it can be but they're they're getting there man they're like they made a jump very very quickly so once you get there to that point and you see what they've done, you know, now they have a proper arena. This took place outside of that arena. One of those like makeshift ones. 
And it was kind of odd because it was just kind of empty, right? Like it was kind of weird, but overall I, I thought they made a couple adjustments to the way PFL does their programming. And I thought that it kind of, I thought it helped, you know, um, I thought it was a little bit smoother. They had some things here and there, but overall I kind of enjoyed it. I, I think the PFL gets some props for even putting on the event. They could have just absorbed the roster and just said, Hey, this is us going forward now. Right. But they, they did kind of match them up against Bellator fighters. And I thought that was fun. And it's a little different from what, what they first announced, but overall, I thought it was uh, a successful night. It, it kept my attention. I saw a lot of people tweeting about it, a lot of people watching it. Uh, I thought it was good. And let's give them credit. This this is a sport where memories are short-term memories. How many UFC fighters have gone over to PFL and gotten their walking papers? You know, And then we've said, hey, PFL is not so bad. Saturday night didn't go their way. And it's going to take a few matchups. I don't think we have to wait a whole year until the next PFL versus Bellator. A few matchups along the way. Someone will be keeping score. Um, it's just we give Bellator the roses for Saturday. Many have said Bellator's got the far and beyond better roster. Perhaps better. I like the word better because it just it's clear, you know. Um, far and beyond. Eh, once you start getting into all that, then I got to. I got to start checking it out and seeing what the history is and what, you know, what's going, what's what. USA Today Sports, Topology, many websites have rankings that basically cover all of MMA. And I, I know there's their fair share of Bellator and PFL. Um, four ones, good enough. I'm per pretty sure Bellator didn't like that result. You know, they'd all go back and sit in that throne, that chair. And so it was a little bit of a knife, you know kind of getting twisted around all right you lost the fight and now you got to see all this but like you said goes they go out of their way to try stuff try new stuff they're experimenting and it brought me back to the days of ufc pride type of rivalries you know and mm -hmm. um the WWE ring and the belt that was lfc cool. versus rfa which now is lfa combined but they had they had a night so yeah the belt had a nice twist to it the fighters got paid um production there's some really cool things they do out there i'll give them that the pictures of all those boxing champions and all those notables that was pretty iconic as well a few people stepped in there that shouldn't have but whatever mike, I, I, mike tyson I, I, putting a belt on you that's like that's a big deal it is a big deal man so kudos to the pfl for that it's their first proper event aside from europe and the smaller series that they have under this new banner of PFL owning rights to Bellator fighters. So let's let this play out and see how it goes. You see the impact that Pride fighters had in the UFC, Strikeforce fighters had in the UFC, WEC fighters had in the UFC, even a few Bellator fighters have gotten down in the UFC. Let's give PFL a chance as well. It's, it's so easy in this sport to just clown. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of that club. Uh, I'll, you know, maybe I might send out a smart, a snarky tweet from time to time. I definitely give people hard times about when their teams lose. Uh, but when it comes to this, it just, uh, you know, take your LPFL, leave it at that, and let's see how the rest of 20, 2024 unwinds is, is all I can say. Yeah, because they still have fighters, you know, that, that weren't a part of this event that – that are good fighters 
And so, and, and look, there, there are a lot of fighters too, that you can kind of even trace back to Bellator that are PFL fighters or vice versa. Like I, I think throughout the year, a couple fights here and there can help them save a little bit of face. And then however way they want to handle this in one year with the matchups that become there, then, you know, we'll see those too. But, uh, I had fun watching it. I thought it was good. As did I. And what if Henan Fajeda just somehow in 2024 beats Francis and Ganu? Like that might just erase everything, you know, like they would literally have the baddest man on the planet. Though some might say it's John Jones. I'll still say he's bad. He's the GOAT, but Jesus, he's only 1-0 in MMA. He didn't beat Nganu to get there. So you beat Nganu, I don't know. Part of me thinks you might own that crown. Um, but Kasanganai was... I mean, he was a light heavyweight champ, and he went back down to middleweight. And you would think, well, it's easier, right? It's a lighter weight guy. Perhaps. Perhaps. But um, he just fought like three or four months ago as a 205-er. I don't know if it, I mean, he's pretty jacked as it is. Was it easy to go back? And now you got to go back as a middleweight? And he actually fought pretty well. I don't know. It's too early. But again, it was Bellator's night. We'll give him that. Yeah. And so, like, now you look at Henan Fedea and you see what he can do. It starts to level things out a little bit. Like, before I thought he had zero chance against Francis Ngannou. Now I'm thinking... Jeez, when you add in the fact that Francis just hasn't been doing MMA, his, his sole uh, focus has been on boxing, maybe things can get a little closer to where they need to be. That's definitely, you can't take that guy lightly. I know Coach Eric Nixick has, has said that they've had their eye on him, and uh, I don't think they would do that. But yeah, like, uh, pretend you're training for John Jones, because that guy's an animal. We can't even clown on Bader for not trying his wrestling. We're only 20 minutes and 20 seconds into the fight. He threw a right hand, and Fajeda did a nice job of moving and not absorbing it, and then throwing a big right hand of his own, and then he donkey conged him. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are in our chat for spinning back, like we're saying, well, Bader's a bum, and I'm like, ah, overreaction. Uh, it was a win. We'll give him that. And let's see how he does against Ngannou. I do think it'll be a closer fight. Than I thought so uh, six months ago. I just thought no one could fight Ngannou. I thought you could throw two or three guys in there against Ngannou like they do over at Extreme Couture with the lighter weight guys. Um, but I'm always reminded in MMA that anything can happen when, when it deals with four-ounce gloves, especially the heavyweights. And a six-eight heavyweight who's now oozing confidence, who can probably now put together great training camps because he's won a million dollars in October. He probably got paid decently. For this fight out in Saudi Arabia, along with, you know, you stay busy over at PFL, so you have to fight like four times, and those are other mm -hmm. paychecks he's grabbing along the way. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And then is what? Uh, he's now two years and one month removed from the Gone fight. That was his last time that he fought in the UFC. Can, uh, you, know how, you know how I feel about those long layoffs? Can you imagine the nerves he must have? Because he's supposed to be next. For Francis Ngannou, when he is, as soon as as soon as the referee calls action to that fight, he just made two million dollars. But you have to get there. And can you imagine, even if they tell him, because look, it was kind of odd. We didn't see Francis Ngannou in that cage. We didn't see them square off. It just seemed kind of weird. Francis seemed a little distance with his 
uh, his eyes were occupying something else. You know, John Jones was not too far away. But even if that fight is signed, deal delivered, you have to hope you get there. And there's got to be this like weird relief that the second the fight starts, boom, that's $2 million in your account. And that just makes you so much more richer, right? On top of what you've already done. I can't imagine what what position he's in right now, just wondering, is this going to be Francis Ngannou? Are they going to make that happen? Because if they don't, the, the, the pay... I'm sure you get to pay somewhat decently, but it ain't $18 million, I'll tell you that. And you don't want to get Michael Chandler. And here's what I mean mm-hmm. by that. You know, you wait out. You're He's obviously not going to be a part of the next season. I highly doubt that. He's next for Ngannou. That's the way it looks like to me. But if Ngannou wins his match coming up in early March, Tyson, the Tyson Fury fight is out there. It's waiting. It's huge. They want to settle that score. Whereas if he loses and gets hammered, then you know, the Tyson fight, the Tyson Fury fight also got delayed. And we, who knows if that be, goes down as a classic. And then Fury wants more to do with that one than a guy that's now 0 to in boxing and just got viciously knocked out by Anthony Joshua. So we have to let these fights play out one by one and then tackle them as is. Now, let's talk about Jones and Ngannou. Yeah, they're sizing up. Yeah, they're having fun with it. But guys, the UFC will not let Jones go fight over at the PFL. I don't care if he's getting paid. 50 million and the UFC gets half of it or anything like that. The UFC just that could really damage their brand. So I, I doubt they want that. Hell, I don't even think they would let Bell or PFL send Ngannou over, even though Ngannou hasn't officially had a fight for PFL yet. So he's not really a PFL fighter. But either way, they don't want the optics of someone got sent from another league and then clowned our guy. Mm-hmm. They got a free and clear sign you, and then it's on. You know, but if you come yeah. with any strings attached from another organization, that cross promotion stuff, it just ain't gonna happen. Where the UFC did mess up was I thought they could have hung on to Nganu and allowed Nganu to fight Tyson Fury, and then they go along for the ride and promote him the same way they promoted Conor McGregor. I thought an exception could have been made. I know I know McGregor's looked at as a unicorn, but um I still think this one could have been huge and the UFC would have represented itself pretty well, as you can tell by the way, Nganu you know, uh, how well he did in that fight. And you have to ask, why does the UFC have that stance? Because this is, you know, they're they're constantly saying, we want to put fights on that the fans want to see, right? But it's because no matter what, they make money. You know, if John, if Francis Ngannou never steps into that cage, they just continue to make money. They keep producing new stars and things keep going their way. And so uh, they really... Uh, they don't have a need other th- other than to just make everyone happy and possibly risk not having the, the best fighter in the world. They're going to keep making money hand over fist. Yeah, exactly. So for right now, look, uh, I can't even officially tell you if PFL and Bellator are going to on the outs. I thought it was strange that he didn't come in and do a face off against Bejeda. We know PFL is all about the, pay- uh, the face offs. And uh, Ghanu has said that he's intrigued by that matchup. His coach, Eric Nixick, told us that Ngannou is intrigued by that matchup. He's also intrigued by that matchup. So you would have thought that was a slam dunk. I don't know. He didn't do it, and that's fine. I think it was a missed opportunity, but I certainly hope that doesn't mean that something's happening behind the scenes You know that mm-hmm. has Ngannou soured on fighting for the PFL because that would be a damn shame. Unless he just officially says, you know what? I kind of became champ. I'm done. I'm just going to box. Oh, okay, cool. At least you're letting us know. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just makes everything so murky. It sucks. Yeah. Evelyn defeated Kasanganai. Evelyn, I don't think, is going to do the season. So he just kind of has this unofficial title by some as the best middleweight on the planet. Uh, he's undefeated. And, you know, he gets a lot of support from training partners, coaches, things like that. But for right now, it's most on this planet will say it's Drikus Duplessis. I enjoyed watching the fight. I thought Kasanganai did a lot better than people thought. Uh, any thoughts on that fight? I thought he kind of gave that fight away. I, I thought he hurt Johnny Eblen early. I thought uh, he could have maybe maintained that a little bit more. I think when he goes back and watches the fight, I, I thought it was a pretty close fight. Uh, and he had a lot of success against Johnny Eblen. But Johnny Eblen has shown, not just in this fight, but in the last fight, there are times where you do feel like you got an edge on him and he makes the adjustments and comes back. That's very, very important in a fighter, especially when you look at a fight over five rounds versus three rounds. This fight was only three rounds. You wanted five. You wanted it to keep going because it was an interesting fight. But I'm glad that Johnny Eblen kind of cooled off a little bit on that talk about being the greatest middleweight, regardless of UFC, PFL, Bellator. Because I feel like he still has room to grow a little bit here before we can maybe throw him in with some of those guys. I think he would hang tight with a lot of UFC middleweights, even the best. But uh, being able to put a stamp on it and say, yep, that's the best, I didn't feel like we saw that type of performance. It's fun to say, and hardcores will tip their hat that it could be true, but it falls deaf on so many years that I'm not sure it's even worth it to bring up. You know, unless you're asked directly. But what fighter is going to say, no, nah, I think I'm eighth. When you're 15 and 0 <laughs> and you've won a title and defended it a few times, regardless if you're in the UFC or not, you got to you gotta have that type of confidence. But let's talk about two other fights that were really big for PFL or Belto. I'll tell you why. Jason Jackson beat Ray Cooper III. Now, he didn't beat the last welterweight champ, who's Magomed Magomed Karamov. He stepped out. Cooper stepped in. But Cooper is a former champ. And then you also had a fight where Vadim Nemkov, former Bellator light heavyweight champ moved up to heavyweight, so he vacated that crown, and he beat Bruno Capaloza, who's a former PFL champ. So both Cooper and Capaloza have taken seasons down in the past. They're PFL guys, and these guys got got smashed uh, by the Bellator guys. These these two had to sting a little. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I honestly think. Uh... If we if we're just gonna solely go by the numbers, yeah, man, it, that's not good. You know, it is the word George used. He got smashed, but I don't think that's a total in, uh, indicative of of where both promotions are at. I just think, uh, you know, one thing that I think Bellator does take a hit on was sometimes some of their decision making, or it was so hard to find cards. I, I think PFL just did such a better job of being. A little bit more structured than it did and i think i want to say earlier on spinning back click either danny or matt made this point that it kind of made you feel like their organization had dropped a little bit and um but the fighters themselves you felt like didn't you know it was just kind of the, the route that the organization took i felt a little bit of that but i honestly think that the pfl fighters are, are pretty good fighters some of them and like you know, it sucks when you get we're good to AJ McKee, right? And Clay Collard. I feel like Clay Collard's a way better fighter than what he showed us that night. I don't think it was so much Clay Collard uh, making mistakes as it was AJ McKee. Just that's how you do it, man. When you have a skill set that good, 
to use it to his benefit. He didn't give Clay Collard a second to use his best weapon. And he's in and out. And now he could turn around and fight again and make even more money. Like, that's fighter IQ. That's high fighter IQ. And some of these fights just kind of went that way, dude. I feel bad for PFL because I I feel like a lot of people are going to come down on them, but I actually applaud them for even putting themselves in this position. Yeah, Clay Collard, you know, he's boxed professionally at least about a dozen times, and he's put on some exciting fights over at PFL. He's beaten Shane Burgos, Stevie Ray, Jeremy Stevens, and Anthony Pettis, all guys that had a measure of success in the UFC with Pettis obviously being a UFC champ. Like, that's pretty damn impressive. AJ McKee said, I ain't playing that, you know, and he worked to his strength and McKee, sorry, Collar's weakness. I really commend him for that, especially when you get the finish. You know, if he had done that over 15 rounds, it's like, ah. But, man, the finish just changes everything. Mm -hmm. So props there. I'll say what Go said. Props to PFL for just throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks, whether it's from the production side, traveling to new uh, parts of the world, going PFL versus Bellator and willing to take that L, you know, whatever it is, I, I applaud them. I love the UFC, but I, I also wish they did a few things differently. I'm into ramps and fireworks and things like that. Maybe I'm a holdover from the pride era, but uh, I, I, I don't like how fighters kind of just get buried from week to week. Like, it takes you longer to accept the fighter as a star when in reality, just making it to the UFC is pretty damn impressive. But it just seems like they just throw bodies in there, man, one after the other just to get going. And then when when, when one of them can become something special, then the UFC is like, you see, what do we tell you? But the reality is I, I, I'm not even sure they know sometimes what they're developing. Sometimes there's these guys that are like 15 and one, and then they, they, they get thumped, mm -hmm. you know. But anyway, that card's in the books. Bellator will kind of do their own thing under the PFL banner. PFL's already scheduling PFL 1 for 2024. Uh, remember, they're going to have women's flyweight this year. So it'll probably be six weight classes like they always do. And that one I think is going to go down – April 24th. So that's when you'll see in San Antonio. That's when you'll kind of see them kick off their season. But this was cool. This was cool. You know what else was cool was UFC in Mexico. Maybe it wasn't cool for Brandon Marino and Yair Rodriguez. They dropped fights back to back in the co main, sorry, main event and co main event, respectively. Marino lost a split decision to Brandon Royville. Yair Rodriguez got submitted by Brian Ortega. What did you think of UFC Mexico goes? And let's start with those two fights. I think overall the entire day, I felt like we were watching fights the entire day. I thought the entire day was good. Uh, Mexico brings like this different energy, man. Like just seeing how many people are there for that first fight is so refreshing, you know? And uh, I thought the fights delivered. We started at the, the, the top two fights. I mean, we weren't expecting that, right? You look at, Brandon Royville, it being a rematch and him coming in on short notice, like I couldn't believe the cardio he had in that fight. Mm -hmm. I love this game plan. Brandon Moreno did kind of see seem a little flat just out of it. But I think a lot of it was due to the fact that that Royville just didn't stop. There was always a fist or a kick in, in Moreno's face, and he just couldn't get going. And and that to me 
to be able to stick through that. And even at the end, um, they were just throwing at each other's heads. Like I thought it was a great fight. It didn't end up the way the Mexican crowd probably wanted, which sucks for them. But hey, man, it was it was a really good fight. And then you go to the co-main event, and Brian Ortega, like Jesus, that was just such a recipe for disaster at the beginning. Him rolling that ankle. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody that's ever rolled an ankle, like yeah, it, it'll come back, and and maybe you can do something. But trust me, you start to feel it after a while. It gets really dull and achy. And so who knows what that that did. On top of that, getting pieced up the way he did, that was a very good Yair Rodriguez. And uh, for him to kind of survive that and then come back and make those adjustments, I thought was really, really crazy. It just it was something that I wasn't expecting. I, I, I honestly thought Brian Ortega was on his way out, and I thought Yair Rodriguez was going to open the door for him. And he showed that he could still contend and then even then you know i don't know if you saw the footage but of him actually working that position in that choke there you go man i mean that's why these guys prepare the way they do but uh great performances for them it sucks for the mexican crowd because two of their guys didn't didn't hit and uh, you know they still got alexa grasso but uh anytime you do a card in mexico i am in and i'd love to attend one one day i think that'd be mm-hmm. nuts Attending one would be epic for sure. It's got to be. It's got to happen. I want to attend one in Saudi Arabia, to tell you the truth. That looks really, really cool out there. Yeah. Um. All right. So I'll say this. Ortega doesn't fight often. He's been hurt a lot. Uh. He detaches from the sport. Looks like he loves the smoke pot, surf, bank chicks, whatever. I don't know. But um, he, uh, he's gotten his ass kicked pretty bad in title fights. So there's a little bit of the wear and tear. There's a little bit of the doubt where, like, hey, yeah, you can you can beat a top 10 guy, maybe even a top five guy, but the top three just have your number. How are you going to come back from that? But he did, you know, and in Mexico, it just it almost looked like the UFC said, hey, Yair, uh, we can't fix fights, but everything's set up for you to shine, baby. You know, like, right. I mean, this guy's coming off the shoulder injuries, right? And even Ortega, he's looked a little leaner and he looked a little more softer, almost like maybe he didn't give it the best camp. Maybe he had still another yet lingering injury. He's fighting at altitude where Mexicans obviously are always going to adjust, especially ones that live there. They'll adjust a lot better than you will. He got his ass handed to him in round one. He twisted his ankle before he even got in the ring. It just looked like he was just dead meat dead meat like dutch told the russo and he fucking gutted it out like you don't know how much respect i have for that actual comeback man look it's a career comeback it's a comeback you know in the fight itself that that roll of the ankle wasn't no joke either folks like if you see the replay you see him jump up and roll it i that's no bueno (laughs) um and then Royville, late notice, going up against a Mexican, you know, in, in MMA, probably an iconic figure, be, being that he's worn that actual undisputed belt. And all respect to Alexa Grasso, she wears it too, but Marino was first. And it's a misogynistic country. You know, they're probably pat, proud of their gal, but that's their guy. Um, and he's, he's always had cardio for days. So now tossing the fact that he's from Mexico, knows what that's like going up against the guy that's, 
taking the fight on late notice. Now, let's be fair. Royville uh, trains at altitude. So he wasn't just, you know, a stranger in there. He, he probably, yeah. probably was the best choice possible when it came to someone late notice not, you know, um, suffering some sort of a setback in the cardio department. Um, There's pollution too, though, right? Pollution, the food, so many things. And this dude pulled it off, dude, like that. He he put on a pace that was incredible. I remember the Diaz brothers, they were noted for their cardio. And Carlos Khan, in my opinion, beat Nate, Nick Diaz at his own game because when the fifth round came, guess who else had good cardio? Carlos Condit. And Nick Diaz was the more tired of the two. <laughs> Sometimes there's just guys out there that, that can match you in that department, you know, and, and Royville did, and he pulled it off. And we had a question on spinning it back, like who impressed you the most? They both impressed the hell out of me, but I think slightly more goes towards uh, Ortega. Just I think he had a few more obstacles to overcome. Can you even say Carlos Condit's name without Joey Diaz popping into your mind? Even for a little Carlos bit. Conduit? Yeah. Uh, that's always cracked me up. It's one of his best ones. And I remember he used to say that he was one of the three guys he feared the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he was to walk down an alley, he, he don't want no problems if Carlos Conduit's <laughs> coming down the other side. And I think he had another great line. I wish I could find it. He said when he was he said when he was growing up, he only had three posters. And I think he said one of them was Dr. K, and the other one was probably like uh, Muhammad Ali, and then I think he said, and the third one was Carlos Condit. Like he really, really had this affinity for him. Uh, I've I've been talking to him. I want to see if I can get him on a future Junkie Radio, just because it's been a while. But he really cracks yeah. us up. Oh, dude, he's so funny, man. Like I've I've caught him uh, little clips from his podcast or when he's with Joe Rogan, and it's just so. Did you see when they did the smelling salts? No, was that recent? Oh my god, uh, maybe like a month ago. Mm-hmm. But they talked Joey into doing it, and his reaction is so funny, dude. You would have thought somebody like stabbed. Like, like they a give a boxer when they yeah. wake him up. Yeah, it almost looked like a ghost came out of nowhere and just stabbed him in the gut, dude. Like his reaction was so funny. Was he? I, I imagine he was high, right? I don't know. I don't know if they were. I mean, I imagine at some point, but uh, but yeah, they all do it, and they all just have really funny react. Well, they had to talk um, uh, Eddie Bravo into it at the very end, and even his reaction was pretty funny. Was it that? Is it that horrific? Oh yeah, yeah. Supposedly it's really, really bad. But it, but like once you get past the bad part kind of feels good like clears you up and all i have a stun uh baton no a stun flashlight here in peru and you know how you said it feels like a ghost what did you what did you say grab them or bit them or something like that yeah because there's like nobody around you know he just kind of goes like this and then goes to whiff it and then he has this crazy reaction but it almost like there was a ghost in the room that stabbed him you know like the way okay he well our cousin jesus was messing with that thing he knew the dangers of it, right? <laughs> and so as he's playing with it, I told him, I go, hey, I go, uh, give that back to me because I think I was going to walk out one of our cousins and I, I use it for the flashlight aspect. Mm-hmm. And so as he was doing it, he kind of had it on his stomach and he shocked himself. Dude, his face was so funny. <laughs> it really, really zapped him. But you know what he said was, 
he actually said something what you just said. He goes, it felt like someone bit my stomach. <laughs> he said, I felt like like so an animal or something just bit me. And another thing he said was the noises re the noise is the scariest part. I go, what do you mean? Because it just kind of goes, zzz. it doesn't, it's not that bad. But he says something about when it latches on to you, it rings through your ears and it's it's like uh what do you say? Just like someone just blared a speaker as someone bit you. He goes, it's this weird combo, <laughs> but his face was hilarious, and his sister Gloria and I laughed our asses off when it happened to him. <laughs> I can't imagine that would. Have been we, funny. We've offered them different things, like you know, twenty-five bucks, fifty bucks to do it again, and he won't do it. He said he there's a church that's about three blocks down. He said he'd rather run to the church naked and come <laughs> back in the rain, but still not take that stunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty funny. All right, folks, let's continue here. Um, let me give you some results, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the fight cards themselves. So we already went over the main card here with PFL Bellator. I guess I left out Yo Romero defeated Thiago Santos. Two guys a little past their prime there. I wasn't as interested as I would have been. A lot of stalling, too, at times. Aaron Pico defeated Henry Corrales. Even the score there. Corrales took him out, actually, early on in their career, so I'm sure it was nice to get that one back. Biagio Lee Walsh made his pro debut. He wins, but it took him all 15 minutes. Uh, to beat Emmanuel Palacio. Clarissa Shields defeated Kelsey DeSantis. She didn't have an easy night. Uh, Kelsey DeSantis would get her to the ground, and she was putting away rounds, but she was mm-hmm. also getting pieced up on the floor. And a third down came down to her getting her down, but just not doing enough with it, whereas early on she took some hits from Clarissa Shields. I thought the right call was made, though. Um, and then there was a few other fights on the main card. Sorry, on the uh, prelims there. Uh, I don't think they're as important to uh, as it is for us to get to the next one. Uh, Z- Daniel Zell Hubert defeated Francisco Prado. Yasmin Jadawi defeated Sam Hughes. Manuel Torres defeated Chris Duncan. Rayone Hayoni Barcelos defeated Christian Quinones. Jesus Santos, Santos Aguilar defeated Mateos Mandoca, Mendoza. Uh, Edgar Chirez defeated Daniel Lacerda. Fires Zam defeated Claudio Puelas. Ronaldo Rodriguez defeated Denise Bondar. Felipe Del Santos defeated Vic- Victor Altamirano. Mohamed Nayav Neymar defeated Eric Silva. The bonuses, 50000 each, went to Daniel Zellhuber and Francisco Prado for Father Night. Deserved it. Prado will use that 50 grand to get a, uh, an eye replacement. <laughs> and Brian Ortega versus, uh, and Manuel Torres got the other 50 Gs. So 200 Gs given out by the UFC. That means some finishers don't get one like Ronaldo Rodriguez and Mohamed Namoff and Edgar Chaez, but whatever. 21,000 packed that stadium, and I heard it sold out quick. It was called Arena CDMX, but 21,000 is big for an mm-hmm. actual arena, not a stadium. And it was crowded and loud, and the Mexican fans came strong. Yeah, it was a good night. Uh, hell, man, it took a lot out of us, though. I mean, like, that's an entire day of watching fights, but it could have been. Imagine putting in that much time and the fights were terrible. Like that, that would have been a punch in the gut, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, how about 
we didn't talk about this on spinning back click so this will be good for our audience that double dips and follows us over there mondays noon eastern 9 a.m pacific live over at mma junkie radio's youtube channel or on facebook it's called spinning back click goes and i do that show every monday and here mondays and thursdays for junkie radio in podcast form by the way that spinning back click also available in podcast form but how about Ilya Toporia getting received by the Santiago Bernabeu stadium crowd? 85,000 who were there to see a Real Madrid game. They honored uh, Toporia by uh, allowing him and getting the honorary kickoff. All the players saluted him, applauded for him. Like It was a big moment. Now, our colleague Danny Segura, who follows soccer, says this guy's the biggest star in MMA in Europe to conor mcgregor and the only thing i clarified to his comment was he's probably right except if you include retired fighters Habib is pretty damn popular too um but that was a big moment i don't want to take that away from toporia first of all you beat volkanovsky second you're you're honored like that at the burnabout like what a month for that guy yeah see the thing is this man like the only way to kind of solve that in my head, if you were to take those three fighters and say, pick a neutral site, I don't know, fuck uh, France or Italy or something like that, and have a signing, whose line is going to be the longest? I think it's going to be probably Connor Habib first. Yeah. It's no disrespect to Tapuria, but I think he can get there. But dude, that was what, like his. I love seeing the homecomings. You know, when they get off the plane and the people are waiting mm-hmm. at the airports, that's super cool. But this was next level. That stadium was buzzing. The players were going out of their way to shake his hand. That was super super cool. Good on them. It was, yeah. And look, he's undefeated, and if he can have a title defense, you know, like he may actually pass these guys up in three years. Who knows? Because the sport also keeps getting bigger. And McGregor, he hasn't really added to what he did by becoming champ champ. He never defended both belts. He did the do the Floyd thing. But look, if we're being true, he, he didn't really do much there. I know he took the first four rounds, but basically it's because Floyd chose to do nothing. But wear this guy out. And then he got finished. And then since then, I think he's only been beating Cowboy Cerrone. You know, he's lost the series against Dustin Poirier. He's got in a lot of trouble. I mean, there's a lot of L's on McGregor's side getting finished and Tapoya is impeccable and he's got three countries that support him mostly two: georgia where he moved to at years uh, at age seven or eight i believe uh spain where he's lived since the age of 15 because he was in georgia from like seven to like 15 and then now he's lived in spain now he's like 27 but he was also born in germany and lived as a kid up until age seven when he went back to georgia because that's where his parents are from so mm-hmm. Germany still hasn't really latched on to their MMA people. Georgia loves them some MMA, and it looks like Spain does well. So yeah. sky's the limit for that guy. I wonder why they haven't had more fighters, Germany. I I really don't know. They have great soccer players, and they have great Olympic athletes. So yeah. maybe it's just a matter of time, but it just hasn't been one of those countries that's embraced MMA. I think they can produce athletes for sure, same way France I've predicted has and will. You know, they got Manon Firon, who could fight for a world title soon. Saint, uh, Benny, Benoit de Saint-Denis. He, he, he's got Dustin Poirier, but if he can get past that assignment, he may fight for a title soon. Cyril Gans won. 
you know, a title. So like they're slowly starting to develop, you know, some talent out in France. I think Germany could do the same thing. I think Spain could do the same thing as well. But these three countries, when you're a little boy, you ain't trying to be any any of them. You're trying to be Mbappe, Cantona, Ramos, uh, De Gea, um, Klinsman. <laughs> I'm, I'm reaching here for some of the soccer studs of today, but uh, Ozil, you know, um, I, I thought I could show off. Here goes. There's uh, Manuel. What's his name? Man Manuel. Uh, Mayor, that goalie from Germany, he's a stud. Oh, Oliver Kahn, and uh, who else? Who else? Are is you Germany just doing in? German stars or everybody? Oh, yeah, I'm starting to jump around, but I couldn't think of any of the Spanish forwards from the last few years. Who used to be used to like Fernando Torres, right? Was, was yeah, yeah. Fernando Torres was big. Who was the guy? Oh, um, the guy that played along with yes, Messi because Messi's Argentinian, huh? Ilker Casillas in goal. Yeah, but who was Cambiesa? Iniesta. Andres Iniesta. Iniesta. You know, uh, uh, Busquets is a stud as well. Mm -hmm. But Mueller, Thomas Mueller, I think, was is one of the mm -hmm. strikers for Germany. But yeah, yeah those kids Go, grew up. They, they just know a good. whole other thing. What's that? Gotze was good, too. Mm-hmm. I agree. We'll see what happens, man. Uh, but congrats to Ilya Taporia for that moment that he had out at the Santiago Bernabeu Stadium. Uh, Henry Cejudo, he wants Marino. He gave a story as to how that went down. Him and Marino were partners. Then Mar he was training, helping him train for Demetrius. But then he got offered the chance to coach tough against Joseph Benavidez. He wound up on Team Benavidez. And next thing you know, him and Benavidez developed a little bit of a friendship, you know, like a big brother, little brother thing. But he's, Henry Cejudo said he told him, look, I'm kind of close with Benavidez now because of tough, but I'm not going to help him beat you, but I also am not going to help you beat him. And so Cejudo was like, all right. But then he says he found out that he was in Colorado helping Benavidez help Cejudo. And so it's been personal since then. Now that Marino's loss goes and he's out of the title picture, would you like to see Marino versus Cejudo? In the sense of squashing a beef, yeah. But in the sense of like producing something, not really. I think Cejudo's uh, got other matchups he can he can deal with in that division. You know, that get him closer to whatever. I I'd like to get a, like I know he kind of clarified a little bit on his channel, but I want to hear a little bit more. Like uh, I heard a lot of I just can't go out like that. And I don't know if that means let me get a win and go out or if that means I feel like I could still contend for a title. If he feels like he could still contend for a title, then, yeah, I don't want to see him fight Brandon Moreno. But if he's just kind of wants to go out on a win, then, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Brandon Moreno will, could welcome something like that. He's probably tired of seeing all the same faces over and over again. This This would be a little bit something different for him. The problem is... Cejudo's going to want to do it at 35. And Marino just looks like he has that wiry 25 frame. Yeah. So I don't know if Cejudo would be willing to go down to 130. And I don't want Cejudo to go to 125 at age 37 if it's not going to matter. If he's not going to, I mean, unless he's making a run at flyweight, then sure, let's go. You know, but if he's not, then either commit to 130 and do a catch weight. 
And before anyone says they're not going to do that in the UFC, yeah, you're right. The UFC does do that from time to time. But, you know, Dana White said something interesting. Raul Rosas didn't fight on Saturday. He got sick at the last minute. And so Ricky Turcios, I think is his name, uh, from Tough, one of the recent Toughs, they're going to fight this weekend. Dana White says there's no reason to make them weigh in again. They already weighed in. They're just going to fight. I love that. I mm -hmm. love that Dana can just go boom, boom. Let's get them paid. No need to hammer their bodies again with another weight cut. Um, and I also liked that Dana in the Mexico press conference, the post-fight press conference, they asked him, hey, is there a chance you could have a fight at the Santiago Bernabeu in Spain with Ortega and uh, Teforia? And he said, look, he goes, if you had asked me two months ago, you guys looking to go to Spain? I probably would have told you no. Uh, it's not really on our the top of, of the list. Or if you had asked me, you know, about going to South Africa six months ago, I probably would have told you it's kind of not really on our list. He goes, but things can change on a dime. And guess what? I make the decisions around here. And if there's an area of the world that's popping and it makes sense for us, we're going. Goes, you don't know how refreshing it was for him to at least be transparent and make it clear that things can shift like that. Mm -hmm. You know, because there's so many times that I hold on to st stuff that he said in the past where we're a proper sport league. Our competitors are MLB, the NFL, NBA, and we want to be like them. And they act so much not like them that that's why I always call it out, call them out. I'm starting to get away from that because to be fair, that was 10, 15 years ago. But if he's just going to say, hey, look, we're just going to take this bus on the road and wherever we have to make a hard left or a hard right and pivot and do something, we're going to do it. Then guess what? Fine. Because I will say this. At the end of the day, a fight is a fight. And yes, these are prize fighters. But there's something too. if you're a pretty tough SOB and your job is to train year round, then if they call on you on six weeks notice, eight week notice, four week notice, and you can get down, then I see how that can be appealing to them and fans. I felt like he, I felt like he just had fun, and that's why he was being more chill in the press conference. Like even when he was kind of breaking down the fights that happened in the in the stands, like he was just kind of more of a dude, you know. Like I don't know, I, I appreciated him in that press conference, and and you're right, I agree with you. I could see certain things like that. Uh, yeah, after after time, yeah. But something like that in that or uh, in that stadium, whoo, boy, that would be bucket list type stuff. Now the weather's a little closer to the Mediterranean, but he's he's crapped on the fact that in the UK, specifically in England or in Ireland, which is not part of the UK, mm -hmm. it's the weather. It, but he's also said the production, the rigging, it's difficult to pull off a stadium show. So I'm wondering. Okay, let's say the weather cooperates in Spain. Well, what about that production and the rigging and the equipment and putting all that up? Like, is that, you know, mm -hmm. what's going to go on with that? Because I can't believe that that would be the holdup to a McGregor fight, but not a Toporia fight when McGregor far and away was a bigger star at the time. Yeah. Now, maybe that was five years ago, that type of talk. Seven years ago. I don't know. Maybe things have changed since then. Maybe they can find a way to cover it. Who knows? Or maybe there's just an arena with 22,000 and let's have it there. I'm in. I'm fucking in. You know, but I just like when Dana is a little bit more transparent. I, I don't mind when he beats his chest and says, I make the decisions. I can do this. I can do that. We'll see. We kind of play it by ear. Cool. 
I like that. But when it's like, this is the athlete code of conduct, you can never do this, you can never do that. Otherwise, there'll be repercussions. Hey, this just happened. What happened to the code of conduct? You know, like, and there's no explanation for it. Well, that's when you're just basically doing things on your own. If that's the way you're doing things, fine, be transparent about it. But when you're trying to be proper and be like this or be like that, and you and you hold it against certain fighters, but not others, that's when MMA fandom and medium media have a problem. True. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. So yeah. So who? So back to what I started on. So Hudo versus uh, Marino, one thirty. Or if Hudo's coming back all the way, great. And I guess if Marino just goes up to thirty-five, who knows? But I would think that Marino wants more than anything to be a world champion and fighting Sahuda at 135 doesn't bring him any closer to that. Right. So, but you're right. He has done a lot of rematches. This might just be something fresh for him. Um, and if it's maybe the difference between not fighting on the first sphere card, like getting on a Noche card or something like that, you never know. Yeah, exactly. How about Francisco Prado's coach who got mis not misquoted, but he told his fighter, uh, you know, you don't need your eyes in between rounds. He clarifies in an article on MMA Junkie where he said, well, look, those words did come out. He goes, but you guys didn't catch everything I was trying to say. He was trying to point him to a part of the cage, which is against the fence, and a style of fighting, which is clinching, in which uh, your eyes won't be necessary to see the missiles that are incoming, especially if you can get someone on the ground or just stay there. What he said he felt was my fighter was even one, one. And if I can do anything I can to keep him in the fight and give him a certain strategy to win the round and take home two checks, possibly even three. Cause remember these guys took home fight night. that, that, that was his purpose. What did you think about the way the guy got buried online because of that comment? I think a lot of it, um, I kind of get what he was saying, but to me in that moment, it was too much rah-rah and not enough instruction. You know, like he was kind of telling him what he felt he needed to do, but he didn't really give an answer for what was being done to him. And I, I thought you have such little time to make all that happen that I feel like uh, you just have to, there, there's got to be a little bit. Eric Nixick's probably the best at this. There is a little bit of a of a rah rah. Come on, motherfucker, get you know you can do this. But that should be like ten percent of what's happening, and the right. rest needs to be how you do it. And I feel like he lacked that a little bit. It was just too much on the same point. Right, and that eye was pretty messed up. And Prado, if I'm not mistaken, is still a young fighter with with what looks to be a bright future. He just ran into a, a fighter who also has a bright future in Zell Huber. But Prado, man, is thick. He knows how to throw a punch. Um, what you don't want to do, I guess, is when your fighter suffers a loss, you don't want it to be an 18-month loss. Remember Josh Koscheck? <laughs> There's we always have our fighters that we lean back on, but he had an eye injury that seemed to affect him the rest of his life. Where anytime he got hit there because he had a broken orbital bone, he would always swipe at it. But more than anything, even if the eye was holding up, it was just this it was this tick that he had, and it just took him mentally out of the fight because that lingering thing was there. I I think there's something to a fight a coach just saying tonight's not your night your night 
we're going to pull you out of this. That eye was bad. Now, in his defense, he did say that the that the doctor cleared him. But I noticed the doctor, when he was doing the follow this finger, how many fingers, he didn't tell him to cover the other eye. Mm -hmm. That's you know true. what I mean? So he kind of gave him the most, the most bare minimum test that I think anyone can pass as long as you have one of the two that's sort of functioning. But the eye that was messed up was pretty messed up. Yeah. Um, what, what I think I would have done is, I mean, look, to his credit, he was out there. He was banging. But that, that that's a tough one. Um, the, the coach said a lot of people don't know the sacrifices that are made behind the scenes. You know, we had a chance to win this fight. We're in. I suppose, I suppose, um, and he did explain himself pretty good, but it was quite the controversy on Saturday night. That's for sure. It was trending and everything. Yeah, people. Uh, I mean, you know, any chance you get to jump on something, they, they do. But I, I kind of understand a little bit of his explanation, but I think he has to underside understand the other side of it too. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, this weekend we have UFC 238, uh, Fight Night 238, excuse me, with Rosenstruck and Gaziev at the top of the bill. So it's in Las Vegas, and it's a Fight Night card. On this same fight card, I know I brought up Raul Rosas and Ricky Turcios. They're on this card, so they just got shifted from that to this. This one's going to start early. I'll give you more of that information on Thursday show as we get into the weekend. But this is Tyson Pedro, Vitor Petrino. Mohamed Mokaya versus Alex Perez, Umar Nurmagomedov against Bexat Al Makan. Uh, Stephen Ursegs is a stud. He's facing Match now. And then Raul Rosas Jr. versus Ricky Tercio. So it's a pretty solid card to tune into. We'll do more of that on Thursday. Remember, PFL and Bellator kind of kind of go their own way in a sense, all under the PFL banner, but it was great for them to get one of their shows under their belts. I'm excited about their future. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, March 9th, we're going to have a UFC watch-along, a UFC 299 watch-along. That is the fight card that's headlined by Sean O'Malley versus Brandon Vera. Wait, Brandon Vera? What was it? Marlon Vera. I blanked there for a second. It's March 9th. It's in Miami, Florida, and it's a deep card. And Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along like we normally do. So this is the first of many reminders Gilbert Burns versus Jack Della Maddalena. Kevin Holland welcomes Michael Page over from Bellator. Macy Barber comes back. Her fights never suck. Mateus Gamron against Rafael Dos Anjos. Song Yadong against Pewter Yan. I mean, this card has so much talent on it. Kyler Phillips against Pedro Munoz. Sean O'Malley versus Marlon Vera. Dustin Poirier versus Benoit Saint-Denis. Jailton Almeida versus Curtis Blades. It is really, really thick, and we can't wait for it. So tune in on March 9th for our watch along. But for now, we're going to get on out of here. We'll see you all on Thursday. Go out and be a champion, and uh, thanks for your support over the years.